Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Well, hello there, and thank you for joining me for episode 92 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 92. You know, as freelancers, we don't have the luxury of a fixed paycheck. That might be just about the one thing I can think of that our Dilbert Cube friends have uh, one advantage that might have over us over freelancing, but that's the only thing I can think of. And, um, you know, the, the, the reality is that even when you're booking work like crazy as a self-employed professional, your cash flow is going to be irregular. I mean, it's just going to be, it, it is what it is. You know, sometimes it's even going to be unpredictable. And the trouble with all this is that when you turn to financial experts, when you turn to those money management books, this issue is rarely addressed because those books those experts, all that, that entire industry is geared towards helping people with steady paychecks, not professionals like us, not self-employed freelancers. In this episode, you're going to hear from my friend and colleague, Diana Huff. And Diana has been trying to solve this cash flow dilemma for a long time. And over the past few years, she's come up with some very specific and very realistic strategies for those of us who earn a variable income and have to treat cash flow management differently. This interview and this show is part one of a two-part series on the topic of money. I really feel that this isn't a this just is a topic that we haven't covered uh, extensively in this podcast, and uh, I'd like to dedicate a couple of shows to it. Part two will be a little different. So this particular episode is going to be very practical, very hands-on. Part two will be much more focused on mindset and the mindset of money. And that episode will come on January 7th. It's going to be the first episode of 2016. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, this one, like I said, will be very focused on practical things you can do right now to improve the way you manage your money and have more peace of mind when it comes to cash flow. So with that, let's get to today's interview with Diana Huff. Hey, Diana, welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you again. Well, it's been a while since you've been on the show. And of course, last time you were here is on a very, very different topic. So either way, I'd like for you to kind of reintroduce yourself. And it has you know, been a while. So even people who know you um, might need a little bit of a refresher about uh, your business, you know, what you do today, um, how you started freelancing, because I know all that ties into what we're going to be discussing today. 
Yep. So I'm Diana Huff, and my company is Huff Industrial Marketing, Inc., and I'm a marketing consultant, and I help small family-owned manufacturers and job shops market, grow, and succeed. Uh, So I started freelancing in 1998, and I did that because I wanted to be home with my son, and uh, now he's all grown up, and he's in college, so um, that's very exciting. And uh, in uh, at the end of, well, it was a, about a two-year process, but at the end of 2014, I made a huge shift in my business, and I changed the name to from, it used to be DH Communications, Inc., when I used to do freelance copywriting, and so now it's Huff Industrial Marketing, and I had always been working with um, industrial manufacturers, industrial companies, and that was always my love, and so my business shift was to focus uh, exclusively on industrial companies, uh, manufacturers, job shops, OEMs, and uh, more marketing so more marketing consulting and far less copywriting. Although I do do copywriting, uh, my main um, my main what I do best now is the consulting and then webs what I call website overhauls. So you started as as more of a writer, copywriter, but it has evolved over the years into this consulting piece. Yes. Yep. Uh, mostly, and the websites are the big part of it too. Because I uh, I learned, I taught myself SEO in two thousand one, and once I did that, that's when my business really went from being a, a freelance copywriter to being an SEO uh, person. Because at the time, there were very few B two B SEO copywriters. So that's how my business really grew. Was because I taught myself SEO and I became known for a while as a B two B SEO person. Now I'm curious because, uh, and this is not really about what we're going to be talking about, but this is something that comes up all the time. Might as well ask you: um, Did you have a background in industrial manufacturing? How did you end up here? Yes, actually, yes. Um, so it's you can uh, read my about page at dianahuff.com. Uh, but basically, uh, I grew up um, working class. My stepfather worked in a factory. Uh, and uh, we lived, believe it or not, so I lived in Alameda, California, which um, used to be a naval air station. Uh, there was a naval air station there. And it was, uh, we were in a working class neighborhood. And right down the street um, was, and it's still there, intact, one of the few intact factories, a U.S. steel plant. So I used to walk down the street and I could actually watch the men in the plant poor molten steel because it had it didn't have walls just had a roof and these big beams and I could watch them moving things around and I could see the steel being poured and I used to stand there and watch that and uh, when um, so I went through college I got to my degree well while I was going through college I made sales for sailboats and that's when I learned manufacturing because I was making stuff and uh, my first job out of college was at an industrial manufacturing woman owned we we made custom cloth products for military and aerospace applications Uh, so I ran I was the office manager for seven years and then I went to Varian I supported two manufacturing factories within Varian so I've always been in industry and when you started as a copywriter, the first five years or so, were you positioning yourself this way as kind of an industrial? The first, yep. My first tagline was high tech, was uh, copywriting for high tech and industrial companies. 
Excellent. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting because what I know about you, it's you you started out that way, but you've connected those dots even further over the years, haven't you? Like as you've figured out what you like, what you enjoy, what you're really good at, you've pivoted several times until this last iteration, which is um, really the culmination of all that. Exactly. Yep. So now I combine everything I know. So, you know, like today, I'm actually, I was been working on what I call a traditional PR campaign where I wrote a traditional press release. I'm going out looking for the publications that best fit the client and then um, pitching the release and story ideas to various editors. That's all old, old PR work. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, that's, that's really good background. Um, and, um, you know, you, you obviously haven't been, you're not new. You've been doing this for a long, long time. You've seen the ups and downs. And uh, that leads me to, I guess, the, the first question here, which is your, your take on, on money and cash flow as a freelancer and managing cash flow. Um, you have kind of a different view of this, which has evolved over the years. Um, before we get into kind of the details about that, give us a little bit of background on on your view and, and maybe a quick summary of your position on on the issue. Well, um, basically, uh, my ideas started changing a few years ago. Um, they started changing around retirement. So I found myself, I kept asking, um, why was I being told by personal finance experts to work like a dog and then put off life in order to save a million dollars or so, so I could, quote, retire. And I kept asking myself, what exactly would I be retiring from? So I sit here at a desk. I work on a computer. Um, You know, at the end of the day, my brain is fried, but my body is not being torn apart. Um, I go to the gym. I'm very healthy. I don't smoke. I don't drink. um, Or I drink once in a while. I'm not a teetotaler. But, you know, I'm very healthy. I take very good care of myself. And I'm thinking, okay, so as long as my brain is active, why would I want to retire? And I kept thinking, and what would I do if I did retire? And I kept thinking, well, I would work because I enjoy what I do. I, I mean, I, it just seemed like I just couldn't make this connection. Like, and then, you know, and then, you know, of course, I've given presentations at the AWAI B2B bootcamp. And so there are lots of people there who are learning to be a copywriter after they've retired. <laughs> so I kept thinking, okay, I'm already doing something that a lot of people are retiring to. And then I live in this small house, so I don't have to downgrade. And I just, I just couldn't make this connection. So I finally, um, you know, I, I kept thinking, maybe someone has it wrong. <laughs> and never thinking that maybe I was right. And then I started reading more books about uh, the 401k process, because uh, I was trying to teach myself how to better manage my 401k. And I and uh, there are all kinds of books out there about how the whole process is broken down. Um, and, you know, we're being told to save and save and save. And, and yet, you know, these stock market crashes happen. So if you've been diligent and saved all your life, you could lose everything in one stock market crash. And then you're being forced to work more or longer to make up for this, this loss. So I just, I just couldn't figure out why none of this was connecting in my head. And then on top of that, so here I'm a freelancer, and um, I was I have always made very good money, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't save 
and why I kept going further and further into debt. And I kept looking at, I'm like, wow, I made all this money last year. And so I bought into the standard advice, oh, you're not, you're living above your means, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just looking at everything going, well, I don't know. I'm looking around here. I don't look like I'm living above my means. And so finally, I finally, it, it just like something connected in my head. And I realized that the standard money advice that we get today, totally outdated. Um, and that's because it's geared toward people who work at the same company for 20 to 30 years and then retire with a pension. It's not geared toward freelancers with highly erratic and variable incomes or, you know, one month you could be up and one month you could be down. And so it, once I made that connection, I ditched all the financial books and I started figuring things out for myself. So, in, in what you're saying really resonates with me because I've had that that itch as well. It's like, man, it's, it's just there's something about this that doesn't ring true. Exactly, <laughs> I know. And it's know. you know, and then you feel bad about the things that you might be doing that the books and the experts tell you not to do. But then you wonder, well, what am I doing wrong? Because I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong here. Exactly. And then I kept thinking, well, I must not be getting it right because I'm not a numbers person. I'm a woman. I need to have someone who's smarter than I am tell me how to do this. And it, it's, it was the totally wrong approach. And once I ditched all that, everything changed. Let's talk about some of the, the most common financial uh tips, strategies, advice that you hear all the time that you found doesn't quite apply to us as independent professionals? Yep. The biggest one is save 10%. So that one, so that advice is really good. You, you should save money. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but if you have a variable income, saving that 10% can be very, very hard. So just, let's just take the whole advice all the way through. So, so, uh, first off, the standard advice is save 10%. So as I was thinking through all this stuff, I kept thinking, well, I'm a business owner. I have two accounts. I have personal and a business account. So do I save 10% on my business side or do I save on the personal side or do I do both? Then I kept thinking, okay, well, do I save 10%? If I'm doing it on the business side, am I going to save 10% pre-taxes or am I going to do it after taxes? But I pay myself because I'm a, an S-corp. So do I save 10% on what I pay myself? And then I thought, okay, or then I I was getting, I kept trying to do both and nothing was working. And then I, I read somewhere, save 10% as soon as a client pays you. Well, okay. And I'll get to this in a minute, but if you um, if you just take ten percent off the top, if you're not making enough money to break even, saving that ten percent off the top doesn't work because you need that money to meet your expenses. So I was sort of going a little crazy. So and then another standard piece of advice connected with that ten percent is put that ten percent into automatic savings, meaning just have it taken straight out of your account and you never miss it. Well, that works for people if you have a paycheck, but if you're in self-employed and you're a freelancer, you know what if your client pays late? What if a project gets canceled? I mean, I've had clients. I'm sure you have too. I had a client where I was doing a monthly. Um, 
what was it, monthly, quarterly, I was getting a good fee for this e-newsletter. And it was like, boom, 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 you know, it was happening like clockwork. And then one day she called me up and she said, hi, I just had a huge budget cut. We're no longer doing the newsletter. Like, ah! Mm, Yes. We've all been there. (laughs) Yes. So how are you supposed to save and then put that money into audit, have it automatically pulled out if your client pays late, if something gets canceled, if a a project you thought was going to go through doesn't go through. So now you have to pay expenses on this money that you're supposedly supposed to be saving. And, um, you know, like you may have to pay your groceries, you may have to pay your mortgage. So this, these are all the problems that I was running into trying to quote save this 10%. And I totally get that nobody has ever answered that question as far as I know. It's like where do you take that 10% from? And by the way, are you saving like in a savings account or is that retirement or Right, exactly. And then the retirement thing too. So again, you know, save for retirement. Like retire from what? And and when you put that money into retirement, so the the financial personal financial um, uh, ex- experts or the advisors, they're telling you to put that money into the retirement account because you're going to have all these tax savings. Well, what they don't tell you is that you tie up all that money. So, like one year, I made a good chunk of change. I put all this money into the four hundred one k, and then the next year, I didn't make as much money. And I'm like, oh man, I could really use that money right now. And if you take it out, you get a big, you know, tax, um, you know, you get hit on it 10% or whatever it is. And, you know, so tying up all that money where you can't get at it. I mean, it sounds good, but as a, when you're a freelancer and your income is so variable, it's not a good thing. Yeah. And I think there's, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this. There's room for all of these things. It's just, they seem to be very specific, uh, rules or laws or advice that's given to everybody. Right. And right. So we're not saying, Hey, don't, you know, don't, we're not saying don't save for retirement. We're, we're not saying don't put money away. Right. Um, but it's, but you have I, to do it in a different way and you have to approach it in a different way. Gotcha. So savings, the retirement, um, any others that come to mind that have been really annoying? Um, I would say those those were the two biggest ones. And then, you know, and I read, I read all of them, Suze Orman, Ramsey, you know, Ramsey was, I think the one who annoyed me the most when he said, you know, to begin paying down your debt, you know, put a thousand dollars aside. And I'm like a thousand bucks, that's nothing. You know, because no one, what bothered me the most about all this advice was um, no one talked about if you had a business, they only would advise you to, um, turn your hobby into a side business, uh, especially so you could pay down debt or so you could put money aside for retirement. But no one ever talked about, well, you have this real business and, um, you know, you have expenses associated with it. And, you know, and they, they, that was the other one. So save three months uh, of savings. Well, I, you know, when you have your own business, that you have to think about your about what you're saving for in a very different way. So, you, should you have three months of savings? Well, I wouldn't call it three months of savings. I would say make it so that you can weather the ups and downs of clients paying late, projects getting canceled, blah blah blah, and however much you need to weather that. It could be only a month. It could be two months. It could be three. It depends on your own circumstances. 
you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, wh- what I'm hearing here is that honestly, um, in a perfect world, the way to, to go freelance would be to start with $100,000 in uh, working capital, right? To just have magically, uh, you know, magically make appear $100,000 in your checking account. And and that would basically cover, it'd be like your line of credit, if you will. Right. right? It's working capital. Exactly. But yes. let's face it, uh, 99.9% of us don't have that luxury, right? We um, either decide to start one day or, you know, we, we started because out of a need, we got laid off or um, whatever. We may have some saved away, but it's not going to be like a ridiculous amount of money. So the question is, and the frustration I'm hearing from you is, you know, what happens when you don't have the ability to like stash away all this cash over the next six months or three months? How do you do it when you have to make it happen on the go? It's like you're building the car as you're driving. Exactly. That's exactly it. So it, you, you know, I would read these books and they would say, start a side business and I'm, and I would be like, well, I already have a business. It's my life. You know, it's like, <laughs> I can't start another side business in order to generate this extra cash. You're telling me I need to generate. And then you see things like, you know, sell stuff on eBay. And I'm not, I'm not a big um, purchaser, so there's not. I don't have any extraneous stuff that can be sold. And uh, I'm, you know, just all this advice that just. It just didn't work. So uh, I just stopped reading all of it. So let's in, talk. In, oh, go ahead. No, Sorry. Uh, so let's, I, I think people can, can, can relate here. I know I've talked to a lot of my colleagues and, uh, you know, this comes up quite frequently. It seems like um, nobody's really figured this out uh, completely. I, I have some ideas. I've talked to other people who have ideas, but um, I know you've also been thinking a lot about this and come up with some very concrete steps and strategies. Um, so, so let's run through some of them. Um, okay. And, and, you know, I'll let you kind of guide us through this and, you know, through, through what you suggest. Okay. Well, the first thing um, that, so I, um, you know, I have the new book, Cash Flow for Freelancers. And one of the first things, um, it has exercises in it. And the first exercise I have people do is analyze their own cash flow. So when I did this a couple of years ago, um, my jaw dropped. Uh, and, and all I could, as soon as I saw the analysis, and I did this myself um, and uh, came up with the idea myself. Um, I just thought, oh my God, no wonder I'm in debt and no wonder I'm constantly struggling. And what I had realized, so I had always viewed my income just from the number on the income statement. So mm-hmm. I'd look at it each month like, okay, I made this much this month. I had never looked at how the projects were coming in and how long they were taking to, to do, like from start to finish, and when I was getting paid for them. So that's what I did was I analyzed my cash flow and, you know, I I said, okay, here's project A, here's how much I charged for it. Here's, um, I got, here's what the deposit was because I asked for 50% up front. Um, Here's how long that project took and here's when I got paid for it. And I was going in many, many cases, 60, 90, 120 days between the initial deposit and when I finally got paid. And I just thought, oh, my God, who can live like that? <laughs> you know, so all this, again, all this standard financial advice is for people who are getting a paycheck every other week or once a week or whatever. And here I am going 
30, 60, 90, 120 days, there is no standard financial advice for that. Yeah. So you're basically financing the client and the project and because uh, you're focused like many of us, right, on work booked, not when cash is coming in. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that, that's a very valuable exercise. What would you suggest people do? I mean, if you were to kind of do something really simple, it's just go back to the last six months and see if you can figure that out. Um, well, yeah. So that's what I did 12 months. Just, uh, but you could do six, six, 12, but really get a handle on um, what, how projects and cash are flowing through your business. Just really start to understand it. And what were you looking for specifically, or is there one figure or one metric that was really helpful for you in terms of, you know, maybe number, average number of days to, to, um, to get your payment? There was that, yeah, average number of days. Mostly it was just seeing the fact that um, that these projects were taking forever. Uh, one of the things that I um, started working on, and this is still an ongoing process, becoming more efficient. Uh, and the other thing, the other huge change that I made was instead of billing um, when the, so I, a lot of these big projects were for website overhauls and I was doing the final billing when the website went live. So some of these projects can take a long time. Uh, so what I do now, uh, the change that I made was 50% upfront, 50% when I deliver the content. So if it takes another three, four, or five weeks for the design to be finalized, that's the designer's problem. I mean, even though I'm still working on the project because I'm project managing it, um, at least I've gotten paid for the bulk of my work. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. That'd be huge. And, yeah. And, that was um, a huge change. So 50% up front, 50% when you deliver the project, what do you... In when that, I deliver the 30 content. Days? Or the, uh, the content, net 30 no, days? I, well, that's another thing. So net 10. So uh, uh, that's... So another... And this is not so much... Um, this piece of advice is not so much from financial ex, um, advisors, but you see it out there on how to get paid faster, you know, do net zero, stop working until the client pays you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well... I have found, and I, so when I was the office manager for the manufacturing company, I had to do accounts payable and accounts receivable. I did the bookkeeping in in, as well as the front office work. And I did this for seven years. People, companies pay when they pay. You can put net 30 on the invoice. You can put net 10. You can do balance, do balance due on receipt. They will pay you when they pay you. And uh, I have company, I have clients who will pay me who are like clockwork. They're very, very good. I have no issues. I have other clients where I have to call the accounts payable department. Hello, when are you going to pay me? Um, you know, um, one with one, I actually had to, I personally had to go to their lobby and sit there until I was given a check. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, that's, you know, that's a whole other topic in, in and of itself. But Basically, um, what I did was, um, again, revised my own terms, and I stick to them, and I'm, and I'm working, I'm constantly working on being more efficient so that I'm working fewer hours for any given project, and I'm going to get paid faster. So where does the net 10 come in? Because you said companies are going to pay you when they pay you. 
Well, I can put net 10 on there, but one, one company, they pay me net 30. <laughs> I put yeah. net 10 on there all the time. And so, you know, that's, that, that's what I'm just saying. They just pay you when they pay you. My, my, uh, uh, what I've found is that I used to, I started out with, I think net 30 didn't last very long because I, I read somewhere, Hey, ask for net 15. You never know. You might get it. And, uh, this is very early in my business. So I, I've been doing that ever since net 15 and, the, the amazing thing is I would say more than half of my clients pay me net 15 uh, yeah. and the other end up paying me in 30, 45 days. Now the beauty is I think be, by asking net 15, you get close to that. Um, if you were to ask net 30, you then get maybe 60, 70 right. days <laughs> or 90 or 90. Yeah. So I, I'm like, I'm going to ask for it. Uh, and, yeah. see, and see what happens. That's okay. What I do. So efficiency, uh, you mentioned um, the, the way you bill and when you bill your terms, um, of course, and then going backwards uh, and then doing that exercise, analyzing your cash flow and, and not just focus on bookings, but go back six months to a year and figure out when you got paid so you can get a better sense of when cash is coming in. Um, what other ideas uh, or tips have you found have, have well you? The, the other one that was huge for me was um determining my break-even number so uh for the personal financial books um they're all focused on your personal finances very few take into account that you have a, a business and not a hobby but a real business that has expenses and clients and you work um, and it's your livelihood um so your business has expenses just like you personally have expenses. And um, I have found that a lot of people just pull a number out of thin air on what they want to earn. So maybe if you worked a full-time job and you were making, uh, say, $55,000 a year, you say, well, you know, I want to make 60. That's 5,000 more than I was making. You know, that's doable. Well, that 60 has to cover your personal and your business expenses. So if you don't know, you probably know, a lot of people know vaguely what their personal expenses are, but you might not know what your business expenses are. And so when you have to pay for both your personal and your business, that becomes a big chunk of change. And so it's imperative that you know your break-even number, and your break-even is your personal and your business expenses combined. So um, I uh, I sort of knew what both of them were, but um, while I was in this uh, cash flow analysis mode and my eyes were now open and I had my oh my God moment, um, I started really looking at things, and um, I was sort of appalled at where I was spending money that I wasn't even really aware of. And one of the big things, um, big wastes of money, I shouldn't say waste because maybe some of it is useful, but one of the big places where we all probably spend money is just online. Like I was buying books online and it's so easy to just click, click and you order something or apps click. You know, I remember ordering this app. I think it was like a $35 app. And I think I used it for two weeks and then I reused it again. And, you know, so all of this, I, when I started analyzing where all my money was going, that, that, so the online book ordering that came to a complete halt. I was spending over a hundred dollars a month on books. I get everything from the library now all for free. 
So <laughs> I don't buy apps anymore. Um, I was using Infusionsoft, which is was $200 a year. I stopped using that. I just use Nimble, $15 a month. Um, $200 a month for Infusionsoft. I went down to $15 a month. So I just started looking at everything. So now um, I have this break-even number. I know exactly how much money I need to bring in every single month. So I know where I stand every single day of the month. So for example, today, I've brought in 60% of the income I need to bring in this month to hit my break-even. I know I need to bring in 40% more, right? So instead of flailing around and panicking, I'm like, okay, this is how much money I got to bring in. This is how many days I have left. The holidays are coming up. This is my pipeline. Get to it, girl. And when you are able to focus like that, so much good stuff happens. And, um, you know, I've already got a prospect I'm going next week to visit. I have um, another prospect. I'm getting to the quote stage with them. I mean, it's just, I'm focused. So I, there's no airy fairy. There's no, let me pull a number out of thin air. It's like, this is how much money I got to bring in. And of course I always want to make more than my break even, but you know, if some if if your pipeline's not that full, or maybe because December is a short month, it's like okay, just if I make break even, that's good enough. And and you have to know what your break even is. All right. So a couple of first a comment, and then a couple of follow up questions to that, just to get a little bit of clarity. So the only place I'll probably disagree with you on is the whole book thing. I'm such a big believer in buying your own books, as long as you read them, of course. So, but I'm with you. I'm with you. It's it's easy to get carried away. Uh, but well, uh, also I I'm a big so when I get books from the library, um, I uh, I do read them, and I know you like to write in yours. Oh, yeah. I actually write in my journal every single morning, so I will write down what I'm reading about and then write about it. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. Cause then at least you're, you're retaining that, you know, you're right. getting a record. Um, so a couple of follow-up questions then, um, when you say, Hey, I'm about 60% of the way there this month, I need about 40% more to go. So that, that tells me what I need to do. Are you talking about booked work or are you talking about cash coming in? Cash coming in. And okay. that's one of the things I cover in my book too, is, is you have three numbers that you need to pay attention to your break even number, which is, um, your personal business expenses combined, your your cash income. So cash income can be um, you know, money receivables for that you build the month prior, um, projects that, um, that you are going to be billing for that you know your customers like clockwork and they're going to pay net 10. Yep, I'm going to get that this month. Um, it could be passive income. So if you have like an app or an ebook that you sell and you're generating some income, anything that brings in cash, that's your monthly income. So you, you know, you want to make sure your monthly income is meeting your break even and then your sales number and your sales number is um, sales. So like when I close a sale, so let's say a customer hires me to redo their website and I charge them 15,000 and I get 50%. So that 7,500, the 50% becomes part of my monthly income for that month. The 7,500, that's future income, but that 15,000 is sales. So I have, I have three numbers, break even, my monthly income, making sure I'm at break even or more, and then my sales goal. Because without sales, if you're not keeping track of sales, you're not going to meet your break even or monthly income in future months. 
That's awesome. I love that. I love that you're keeping track of these three metrics. So and it's right there on my wall, right in front of me. So I have a chart right on my wall, December, 2015 income. I have listed what all income I have right now. I have where I got to get to and I have my sales goal. And you know what? That's so key because that was my next question. How are you tracking that? The the moment you start trying to buy software for this, oh no, that that's the moment you're going to lose. Paper and pen, baby. <laughs> yes, whiteboard, <laughs> and paper, it's and pen. Right up on the wall. <laughs> I love it. That that is absolutely the way to do it. Um, I rarely see someone who, when it comes to simple things like this, succeeds in in getting to where they want to get to by buying some app or implementing some software. This kind of stuff, it's got to be very low tech. Yes. Okay. So um, another follow-up question regarding break-even and expenses. So when I think of, of expenses, personal expenses, business expenses, on the business side, it's kind of straightforward, right? Because, you know, you got recurring monthly costs, like a web hosting, uh, then office supplies, whatever, right? Those things, right. we all know what they are, and you can get an average for that. Um, but when it comes to personal, we're talking about the money you need to live, right? So all your bills, uh, your, your mortgage, uh, a little bit of money for fun, uh, savings, that sort of thing. And so first of all, let me stop there. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, and I would say I would be careful with the word savings. So what I do now, and this I've learned this all the hard way. <laughs> Trust me. So like for so we all have just what you said. We all have expenses that we know about. We have our mortgage. We have our groceries. Um, you know, clothes for the kids, clothes for us, whatever. Maybe you're saving for a vacation. But then we have expenses that happen, but we don't know when they're going to happen. But boy, do they happen! So like last year here in New England, you know. We had the gargantuan winter when we had like three feet of snow, um, and uh, I had so much snow on my roof, and I had this huge ice dam, and uh, it was cracking my gutter, and, and it was leaking into the porch. I mean, it was a mess, and I had to call a snow company, a, a roofing company, to come out and remove all the snow because I wasn't going to go up there and shovel off snow. And the guy came out and he said, Oh, that'll be $1,200. I was like, $1,200. Oh God. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> you know, hyperventilating. And, you know, and then like my dog one year, um, he couldn't walk. I took him into the vet and well, he had torn his ACL you know, that was $2,500. Oh, it was nice. like a two inch piece of fishing line that they used to replace his ACL, his ligament, $2,500. And then um, two years ago, I was driving and I hit a pothole, cracked my front axle, $1,500. So we all have these kinds of expenses and those are what drive us into debt. And especially because we're freelancers, um, we may not have uh, that much cash lying around and, and especially when you have a family and um, you know so you have to instead of just quote savings what I do is I have different funds so I have the house fund the car fund and so yes I'm you know putting aside whenever I can 22 bucks so I can make sure I have the money for my in, for my service when it comes up 5,000, 6,000 miles. But also, I'm trying to save a little bit here and there for when these big unexpected expenses occur. So even if I don't have all the cash, at least I have some of the cash, and maybe I can borrow from here and borrow from there so I can pay it and not have to resort to putting thousands of dollars on my credit card. Because then you know what happens is you say, well, 
I have this client check coming in and I'll just pay that credit card when that check comes in. But then by the time that check comes in, something else has happened and you go, oh, and then you, your taxes are due or the, you know, and then you don't pay the credit card. Why are taxes due like at the worst possible time ever? <laughs> Right. Or some things do, right? Yeah. And so yeah life insurance have, policy, which bills right. annually, whatever. Right. Or your kid comes home and, you know, oh, dad, I want to go do this with my school and, you know, whatever it is. And you pay it. So um, so let me go back to that then. The, okay. the, 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 the savings and your expenses and your break even, just to, so I, I make sure I understand this. Uh, let's say it's five thousand dollars, but that doesn't take that takes into account those things that happen twice a year, like or like your, your life insurance policy, for instance. Let's say that's five hundred bucks. Um, that comes due only once a year, right? Um, but you have to kind of annualize it, so you put money away, you know, a little bit right. every month. And that's that's part of my book. Is so actually. Um in uh, I in the book I recommend that everybody use this wonderful application. It's called You Need a Budget. Have you heard of it? No. Oh, it is awesome. So you need a budget. It's sixty bucks. Um, although they are going to an online version, but it's a desktop application. It's sixty bucks, um, and they only charge you again if they like do a full update. And you don't even have to buy the update. You can just stick with the old version. Uh, but it's it's basically. Instead of forecasting money, what you do is you budget, you only budget money that you have. So what, and you so I have, um, I have a budget for my business and I have a budget for personal. So just like you said, your insurance policy is due once a year. So if it's 500 bucks, 500 divided by 12 is what, 60. Mm -hmm. So you have to put aside, you have to budget 60 bucks that month to, to save for that insurance policy. And that becomes part of your break even because, um, you, you have to make sure that your break even covers your weekly, monthly and annual quarterly and annual expenses. Gotcha. And, and does it take into account then the other category you mentioned, the life's, you know, happy. Yeah. Moments? Well, you can set up all your own categories. Okay. So you could have one for, uh, Hey, just, um, uh, things that could break, right? Yep. Yep. And like, um, for, so I'm going to New Zealand in March. Uh, and so what I did, um, was I had a category New Zealand trip and I just saved money every month until I could afford the ticket. And I just bought the ticket and now I'm saving so I can make sure I can actually do something once I get there. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so basically by having everything annualized, um, you can factor all that into your, uh, uh, personal expenses, right? To come up with your personal break even is, is what right. You're your personal, well, your your break even period, which is your personal and your, your personal. business. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, and then the other nice thing about doing it this way. So, say you're you're clicking along and no no life things have happened, you know, like a tree hasn't fallen over in your yard. Everything's been running smoothly for a couple of months, and or even a few months or more months. And so you've built up some balances in these different categories. So, say you've built up three hundred dollars because you know you have to pay the accountant coming up in March or April. So you have some money set aside. So let's say something does happen. Well now you have this money in these categories that you can borrow from to pay for this unexpected happening, knowing that you're gonna have to refurbish those categories as money comes in. But at least you're not using your credit card. 
Gotcha. So that was actually my final question is, what are your thoughts on the best use of, of credit cards? As a um, um, I, well, seeing as how I have debt, um, I personally don't like them. Um, I know a lot of people use them to get going, um, but it is sure hard to get out of debt and it's a slow process. And um, I know lots of people say use them because you can get free this and free that. And I would say if you're really good with paying off your balances every single month, then credit cards fine. Go and use them. Um, I've never um, had good. I've never had good experiences with credit cards. So right now on the business side, you know, I have like things like Basecamp and all that stuff. You have to pay with a credit card. I pay those charges as soon as they come you know, they get charged to American Express and then like once every week or every two weeks, I just pay the balances, you know, the pay the charges. So I don't let it build up. Gotcha. It sounds like your preference is to do it this other way where you are kind of sending money aside to these little accounts, uh, right. And, and doing it every right. month so that you're covering those things that only happen once or twice a year. And then you're as prepared as you can for life's unexpected events. Right, as much as I can, and and like, and this doesn't happen overnight. So this whole process, it's, it takes a while. It takes a while to build up a cushion. Um, you know, like I this month, um, you know, I had a lot of my categories funded, and then, but I've been waiting for work to come in. And you know, you know how it is. You know, client prospective clients will call them. <laughs> They're all hot and heavy, and you know you give them a proposal, and then nothing. You hear nothing. So, <laughs> and that's what happened for like two or three of things that I quoted on. So, you know, I had to use money that I'd set aside. So, but now I know, like I know, okay, I borrowed, you know, two hundred dollars from this category. I have to pay that two hundred dollars back to that yeah. category. So I know exactly where all my money is going, and um, there's none of this nebulous save 10% kind of thing. Well, what I love about what you shared earlier too, is you hit on something that I don't know uh, many people, I don't think many people do. I don't know anyone who does this, which is um, instead of focusing on, on just sales, oh, you know, my goal is 8,000 for the month and I'm at six and Christmas is coming up or whatever. You are, um, you're focused on, on cash flow. Yes. Um, and the beauty of that guys is, is that, when you do that, you can. There are many different ways to get cash, and many, it doesn't necessarily need to mean bringing business in the door, new business or a new client. It could be, hey, let me call Susan because they still owe me three thousand dollars. She said that check was going to go out on the first, and it's already the tenth, and I haven't seen it. Exactly. You know, That's are, right. You have receivables out there that you could start getting on the phone and take care of that 40% shortfall that you're, like you mentioned earlier, very, very quickly, which is a lot easier than trying to book 40% of your, uh, of your sales goal for the month in, you know, in a week or two. Right. Exactly. Excellent. This is, yep. this is great stuff. So You've mentioned the book a couple of times. I, I, I want you to tell us more about it and, and where people can learn uh, more about it and where they can grab it. Oh, so the book is um, Cash Flow for Freelancers, and they can get it at Gum, um, Gumroad. So the uh, URL is https colon slash slash gumroad, G-U-M, gumroad.com slash thoughtful books. Thoughtful books. Cool. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but guys, I encourage you to do this. You know, I, I, 
I know a lot of freelancers out there, very few of them think about this stuff at the, at the level that Diana does. Everything she puts out there is awesome. Um, just in full disclosure, she sent me a review copy of what she has uh, up until this point. Uh, it, as of this recording, she's putting the finishing touches on it. It is fantastic. Oh, thank you, Ed. This is this is something we all need. I know I could learn from you, Diana, and um, I plan on actually. Don't send me a copy. I, want, I plan on buying my own. Oh, um, thank you so much. So check <laughs> wow. it out. This is great stuff. She doesn't put Mickey Mouse, you know, uh, fluffy content out there. So uh, check it out. And Diana, where can people learn more about you and and your work? I think you mentioned your website a little earlier, but tell oh. us again. Um, Huff, I'm Huff Industrial Marketing, but my URL is dianahuff.com, and that's Diana with two N's. And then you can also follow me on Twitter, that's at Diana Huff. And don't try and link to me on LinkedIn because I'm not a big LinkedIn user and I only connect with clients anyway. So <laughs> just fair warning. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much, Diana. I really enjoyed this discussion. I know it's. Uh, it's really going to help a lot of people. So thanks for sharing these ideas with us. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you got a lot of practical ideas from what Diana shared. And I wanted to remind you that you can grab the details show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 92. And this is my last episode of the year. So I wanted to wish you and your family a very happy and safe holiday season and a healthy and prosperous 2016. I want to thank you so much for being a loyal listener of the show over the years and for all the incredibly nice emails, comments, ratings, and reviews you sent me throughout 2015. You had no idea how much these mean to me. It's incredibly rewarding for me to put this material out there every two weeks. And I'm just thrilled to hear that it's making a difference. So thank you for allowing me into your car, into your home, while you do chores, while you mow the lawn. And thank you for sharing this show with friends and colleagues. Again, have a great holiday season. Happy and safe new year. Have an awesome day. And we'll talk again soon. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.